Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. Welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. If you've been tracking with the podcast in real time, that is keeping up with the episodes as they drop, you know I have been somewhat absent. It's been difficult for me to to record the podcast lately because of my voice. I've been a little sick, and so it's exciting to be back in the saddle, uh, to be back in real time delivering content. Uh, so welcome, and it's uh, it's good to have everybody back, and it's good to be back in the uh, this avenue. It's a little bit more comfortable uh, just to sit here and, and share some some information with you. At the time of this recording, we've just entered into a new year. It's uh, 2020 uh, as I record this, and we are excited about all of the things that are coming up this year. A little nervous, a little stressed uh, with all of the projects and, and things that PeaceWorks is going to be doing along with other aspects of, of life, but really thankful to uh, to be in this position and thankful, so thankful to have you uh, on board as well. So one thing I've been wanting to share with you, but illness and obligations have kind of kept me from from talking about it, uh, was I get, I've been getting a lot of questions, or I did get a lot of questions, regarding my recent visit or uh, speaking engagement with the Biblical Counseling Coalition. Now, I've been uh, in the biblical counseling movement for about 20 years, Uh, although I I wouldn't consider myself uh, a leader, per se, in the movement. I've been just more of a practitioner, much more of an outsider looking in. I think this year, uh, in this particular event that I'm going to talk about briefly and then share some, some information with you, I think was maybe one of the first times that I've felt really inside uh, the movement as far as a leadership perspective. So the Biblical Counseling Coalition is really a larger umbrella that was designed uh, back in, I want to say 2008, 2009, to really mitigate the siloed nature of the movement. And so within Biblical Counseling, there were several organizations that kind of functioned in isolation from each other. They all believed in some basic tenets like the sufficiency of scripture, the necessity of sanctification in the life of the believer, but they operated different differently as far as practical application, some theological differences, uh, but really were moving in very similar directions. And the coalition was formed in large part to attempt to unify those those groups, or at the very least, create a sense of, um, I guess, collegial cooperation to bring those groups together to to dialogue and to solidify some aspects of the movement. I, I've been in favor of the BCC since it started. I like the idea of getting the various groups within biblical counseling together, especially at the leadership level. Now, with that being said, this was my first opportunity uh, to visit or be part of the council meeting, which is the gathering 
of the Biblical Counseling Coalition Council. This was also my first uh, act as a council member. So I'm now a member of the council. Uh, and so for some of you who've been asking <clears throat> some very targeted questions uh, via email or direct message, a lot of those I don't have the answers to. I don't know the inner workings of the organization yet. Um, but I am committed to speaking to that er those areas where I'm both equipped and called and, and invited. Um, with that being said, this event of leaders, this gathering of leaders, was focused this year on the topic of abuse. And so not only was this my first opportunity to be a part of the council meetings, I was also invited to present. And uh, this was a very different environment uh, presenting-wise, uh, a different way of presenting. And I'm not going to get into those details. Um, th there is an aspect to this meeting that was very personal. It was much more conversational. And so it's going to be very difficult to communicate that. And it's not really appropriate for this type of venue. But so many have asked me what was said, what was covered, what, uh, what did you talk about? And there's absolutely no way to properly present that in a forum like this because so much of the way that particular event is structured is given to small group discussions and what we're talking about at, around the lunch table or the dinner table or in small groups in you know this particular setting or around um, you know in this particular venue and so there's there's just no way to encapsulate what was being said uh, and it would be unfair to try to uh, determine, um, you know, an, an outcome or, or the direction or intent of people's hearts from just a brief weekend. But I, I can say this, and I am confident about this. There was a real sense of intentionality that I think it's not just indicative of this particular meeting, but I think is indicative of the leadership of the biblical counseling movement as a whole. So if I could say this, I know that biblical counseling in many ways uh, within our world, those of us who do domestic violence prevention, intervention, um, has been seen as a, in some circles, an enemy, uh, in other circles, kind of a a simplistic response. Uh, there has been a lot of accusations at biblical counseling as being ineffective. Uh, and, and I'm not denying those, and I'm certainly not defending biblical counselors who handle cases of domestic abuse dangerously or irresponsibly. Uh, my experience has been that the vast majority of them that we have worked with, some have been handled that way dangerously. Others have been handled uh, out of ignorance, uh, perhaps less skillfully than they could have been, uh, which my contention is I see this throughout almost every discipline, uh, not just biblical counseling. But certainly there are aspects in which biblical counseling has been at the forefront of some dangerous responses. And so, you know, if you've followed, for instance, you know, PeaceWorks, or my speaking ministry, you know that I have not shied away, at least I don't think I've shied away, from confronting the movement gently uh, at some of the presentations, especially when those are biblical counseling-centric 
uh, conferences or presentations. And I will say this, the overwhelming response to those admonitions has been positive. Um, I, I recall just a few years ago, a couple years ago, really, uh, I guess it was 2018 at this point, I gave a, a speech, a talk at a large event, and a very prominent biblical counselor, someone who, who I respect, um, was just very open and honest about how much they learned and how much they valued the information that we gave. And, you know, here's an individual who has, you know, been counseling um, from a pastoral perspective, you know, as long, nearly as long as I've been alive. And the humility to listen, to, to take notes and to respond with, I'm learning, I'm convicted. That, that is the spirit that we are longing for within the movement as a whole. And I would say, you know, looking over the scope of leadership among the biblical counseling movement, <clears throat> that that humble conviction has been um, the most common response. Now, I, I have still, and this again is not specifically tied to the coalition, this is actually the, the movement as a whole, uh, I have encountered some pushback over the years, mostly from individuals who, you know, they don't want to go to extremes, they don't want to overcompensate, they don't want to just be reactionary, they want to be thoughtful, and that's good. I think we can we can work with, with that. Um, but again, my my heart is saying that the movement, from a leadership perspective, those who are training and equipping those who are doing the work, um, the largest percentage of those leaders are learning and growing. They may not agree with myself or some other advocate or, um, for lack of a better word, expert in the, in the field, might not agree with everything, but I'm not really concerned about uniformity. I think that's a dangerous aspect to our work when we as domestic violence or abuse advocates, people who are advocating for victims and advocating for accountability, when it becomes a all or nothing, then I think we are really mirroring the very worldview that we're trying to confront because an abusive, oppressive worldview is an all or nothing worldview um, that, that does not contain nuance. And I think we have to have a little bit of grace, enough grace to accept growth um, in, uh, in stages or in steps. And so we can look at the, the biblical counseling world as a whole, I think, and we can see much that can be critiqued in regards to our, our work with victims and perpetrators. But we can also see tremendous growth. And I think we should celebrate that growth while at the same time continuing to hold each other accountable, continuing to educate, continuing to learn. Um, you know, I, I needed individuals, you know, 10, uh, 15 years ago, you know, as I first stepped into the work, you know, I came in with a level of information, a level of skill and a, and a level of um, knowledge as it were, uh, but I still needed people critiquing my work um, and coming alongside and saying, you know, hey, this was really good, this was really good, this was really good, this needs work. Or you said this in that group meeting, and I think you should read this article. Or I think you could, should consider this. Having that type of input from from a 
point of grace uh, motivated me. And I think that's something that I'm seeing in the movement as a whole. So as I presented uh, at the BCC in particular, the Biblical Counseling Coalition, and again, going back to that particular event, um, as I presented uh, at this event, I, I found a very similar um, response of wanting to learn, wanting to grow, wanting to do best practices, uh, along with the weight and the responsibility of being leaders. You know, uh, I am not, and this is something I say quite a bit, because uh, we'll get some requests, and obviously this is understandable. I mean, this is this is one of those areas of tug of war, of back and forth, I think, sometimes that I wrestle with. We'll get requests, you know, can Pastor Chris call such and such organization, or will you call such and such church? And I may not even know the church or know of the organization. Uh, and there's very little authority that I have, um, very little opportunity that I would have. And so when I do have a chance to speak uh, like an event like this, I want to be direct and I want to be firm. I want to be resolute. Um, but then I also want to be available once we have that type of connection, if they want to learn. And I want to be gracious, knowing that everybody learns and grows at kind of different speeds and different uh, in different ways. So I would say overall, at least from my perspective, as I presented and as we conversed throughout uh, the rest of the weekend, that what I experienced among the leaders within biblical counseling is consistent with what I've been experiencing over the last probably two years, which is a willingness to learn, um, a willingness to um, be more intentional, uh, and a thoughtfulness of wanting to do things right and wanting to do things well while still honoring God, while still remaining firm in their convictions. So the, the things that I talked about specifically uh, was common mistakes that happen in the counseling room. And this is kind of the meat of the podcast today. I'm sorry if I rambled on that first half. Um, but one of the things that the things that I presented on was some common missteps. And so I'm just going to give you those three as well. So maybe this would be something that you could dialogue about if you were interested. Um, number one is a deficient diagnostic will lead to an impotent or dangerous response. And so what I mean by that is one of the things that most helpers have done, whether they're inside the biblical counseling world or not, one of the common things that we see is that we we don't address abuse, especially domestic abuse, well, because we start from a uh, improper or incomplete um, diagnostic. And a lot of times it looks like this. Uh, many times couples will come into a setting or one half of a couple will come into a setting like a church and request counseling. And so the, from the get-go, the requests will be for marriage counseling. And so counselors, whether again biblical or, or Christian therapists, will often begin from a standpoint, I mean mentally prepared to do marriage counseling. It's really a hard leap to start marriage counseling and then properly diagnose what you're seeing. And what I mean by that is it's so easy 
to incorrectly diagnose this problem as, as a problem of mutuality because it's, it's often presented in the context of marriage. And so, as you've heard me say many times, this is not a marriage problem. That's why we need to do a better job. Um, all of our approaches should do a better job of assessing, um, asking good questions, um, looking for aspects of power and control so we can make proper diagnostics. Now, of course, the, the other side is you know, also true that abuse will be presented as the presenting problem. And unfortunately, whether it be due to comfort, fear, ignorance, the, the counselor will shift their focus again back to marriage. And a lot of times we've seen too, this will be propagated by the abuser who will attempt to collude and control the counseling process. Um, now there's other aspects of this. Some of the ones that I would mention as far as deficient a deficient diagnostic leads to impotent or dangerous responses is, of course, you know, diagnosing this as a marriage problem will not affect the outcome properly because it's, it's not a marriage problem. Uh, but also seeing this as a societal problem or a criminal justice problem or something outside of the church will also uh, prove to be impotent and dangerous as the church advocates any responsibility. Um, you know, and can put the victim in far more danger, assuming that everything will be handled, uh, you know, outside of house, right? Some things should be if there is criminal activity, um, an imminent danger, and you can listen to other podcasts to, to kind of unpack what to do with a disclosure. Uh, but sometimes the church is seeing this as, as an outside problem. Uh, but certainly violence in the home is sin, and so there is an aspect in which the church must be involved. You know, another thing is it, it can be deficiently diagnosed by um, a counselor or a helper making a mental health or medical diagnostic. You know, well, this is simply, you know, irreparable. This person, you know, the, the victim has... Um, chronic anxiety or codependence issues while the perpetrator is narcissistic. Those, those labels may fit what one is seeing, but within the work, even those who, who maybe are a little bit more prone to in general accept psychological diagnostics as the final word rather than symptomological indicators, they would even say that that the symptoms associated with those disorders and labels um, are very common within abusive relationships. And it is not that a person is medically or mentally, you know, uh, I don't want to use the word deficient, but I think you know what I mean. They're, they're not simply suffering from a mental or medical problem. They literally are responding to abuse and that is producing this. I mean, you consider the health issues associated with victims and trauma associated with violence and you think about the um, habitual nature of abusive relationships among, you know, among oppressors and how that produces certain aspects. You should expect those type of symptomological responses to surface. And so I think it is, it is limiting um, and insufficient to simply say, well, a, a victim is A, B, C, or D. She is suffering from these disorders. 
alone or that the perpetrator is merely a narcissist or a uh, intermittent explosive anger disorder or obsessive compulsive uh, those type of labels can be conditional and only hint at the symptoms of the problem and not the root cause and so we really need to dig down especially when we're dealing with this type of, of violence uh, the other another area would be the the personal aspects or the provocation aspects where we fall into victim blaming so you know she's pushing his buttons and really that is a theologically deficient diagnostic as we you know remove culpability we remove responsibility um, and we make one person somehow responsible for another sin which um, is not acceptable so one of the things that that I did share with these leaders and I, I would continue to share is that we have to you know take a step back because a deficient diagnostic uh, will lead to impotent or dangerous responses. So we have to be more responsible, more educated, more skilled in our diagnostics. And of course, if you've listened to the podcast for very long, you know that teams and team-based approaches is one of the ways I would I would assert that we mitigate that, uh, along with education, understanding what domestic abuse is as opposed to what it isn't, uh, I think that's a big fear among biblical counselors has been, you know, really knowing what abuse is. And um, as a construct, I think if we can help unpack that, it'll be helpful. Another area area that I, I challenge leaders, and I did speak to this briefly uh, at that particular meeting, was minimizing the experience and the impact of abuse. Uh, if you have not experienced abuse, uh, like myself, I, I can't recall being abused, being oppressed. Uh, so it's very, it would be easier, I think, for me to minimize that experience, to try to personalize it. And so I think one of the dangers is looking to empathize, to say, okay, you know, how have I felt what this person is feeling? And to me, I think that's, um, that's problematic because what we can end up doing is we can then you know, take the victim's experience and try to force it into ours. And when we do that, especially those of us who are men um, dealing with domestic abuse, it can easily tempt us to collude with the abuser um, and come into that place of, well, he was provoked, or boy, she would be difficult to live with, and all of these excuses that flow through. And so what happens through minimizing this experience or impact, softening it, um, then we actually end up giving poor advice or we soften our critique. Uh, and so what's important, I think, is for us to, this is why I encourage list building uh, as you're, you're listening, to really see the, the extent of the behavior, the extent of the impact. So what he's doing and what she's experiencing and actually see it objectively as opposed to uh, emotionally. And I, I know some folks would say, you know, you have to empathize. I, it's going to be very hard for me to effectively empathize. I think sympathy is important here. Okay. As I see, there's a problem. Now I want to know the extent of the problem. I don't need to, or want to personalize it other than personalizing it to my position. And so do I need to know what it's like to be a victim or 
or, or do I, as far as level of importance, is it more important that I know what it's like to be a victim, or is it more important that I know what God's Word says about people helpers when faced with a victim? So for me, I think it's more important to know the gravity of being a shepherd or a pastor faced you know, with a victim, face-to-face -face with oppression. What's my responsibility? So the weight of abuse is an important discussion and something that I think gets lost um, within the counseling world and in particular the biblical counseling world because we're, if we don't take the time to listen, to ask good questions, to build this construct out, we may be tempted to address an incident, uh, address a feeling when this is so much bigger. We need the fuller, broader um, uh, scope to really see what's happening. That's one of the reasons why I use the grand piano exercise with with groups a lot is to talk about you know the weight of abuse that it's you know each incident is adding a rock to her backpack. I mean we're mountain climbing and after you know um, a few days of mountain climbing she has 150 pounds of rocks in her backpack. That would affect her ability to live daily life. So you have to move beyond the each individual incident of dropping that rock in the backpack, as it were, to seeing the whole weight and scope. And it does take time and a little bit of objectivity to, to step outside and say, okay, what what is the real gravity of this experience? And I think we tend to minimize that when we personalize that because I haven't experienced that level of abuse. So I need to be educated on that and be humble enough to, again, construct it in a way, construct my response in a way that really sees the weight uh, as opposed to trying to put myself in the story. Um, my place in the story, and if you're a people helper, your place in the story is as a helper. And so, okay, what's a helper to do when they see a struggler being crushed under the weight of someone else's oppression, right? As opposed to which person can I identify with more? And then uh, lastly, well, there's so many things that we could do, but I think some of these common missteps, you know, first, deficient diagnostics lead to impotent or dangerous responses. Second, uh, minimizing uh, the experience and the impact of abuse is way too common. And then lastly, we often counsel and care in isolation. And that's something that you've probably heard me speak on before. I don't need to get too deep into the weeds here but we often counsel and care apart from help, other helpers. And I think that's a big miss, and I will throw this out, not just in biblical counseling, and I think this is one of the things that we're beginning to learn. So actually, if biblical counselors can grasp this and wrestle with this, I think we can actually um, excel in this area because we have a few more resources. I think what we've done is we've seen domestic abuse in particular that our response, that the cultural, the best response is a therapeutic response. And I would push back on that. I would say that a therapeutic or a counseling response is part of the response. But counseling and counseling alone is not the most effective way to address this for a number of reasons. Um, just the work of counseling itself is very personal. Um, and this work is personal, as you're dealing personally with a victim and personally with a, an abuser. But there are 
um, cultural and communal aspects to this that need to be addressed. Uh, there's aspects of accountability that need to be considered when dealing with, in particular, with perpetrators. There's aspects of support when dealing with victims. And so building teams, I think, is a much more categorically beneficial response and something that uh, pastors in particular can play a huge role in as we are getting advocates on board, law enforcement if necessary, counselors, accountability uh, teams, educators. I mean, it's, a, it's, as I've said many times, an all-hands-on-deck type of approach. And so I think the therapeutic response in isolation is only so helpful. But a therapeutic response as part of a coordinated response is much more effective. And so uh, for me, if, if church-based counselors can see this, as, okay, I'm part of a larger ministry response, then think about all the benefits as such as benevolence um, opportunities for maybe the deacon board uh, to give financial support, uh, church discipline as a corrective um, for individuals who are, are sinning, such as the abuser, um, contacts with local agencies, the development of advocates within your church-based counseling approaches. Uh, just thinking about the broader use of the body of Christ is something that we should, as biblical counselors, excel at. Well, I hope today was helpful. I know I, I know I rambled a good bit. It's just I get back, I'm back on the mic, and so I think I'm a little excited. I hope this was helpful. We do appreciate you all so much. And let's continue to pray, not just for the biblical counseling movement, as we should, but for the church as a whole, uh, that we would... Uh, continue to strive to see the church become the safest place on the planet. Uh, until we meet again, folks, God bless.